But anyway, this morning, Mark 16, 9 through 18, very familiar passage of Scripture called Power Evangelism is the title of the message. And the Bible says, When he, Jesus, rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the, 11 as they, to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up servants, serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Okay, just a little bit of background. In the Bible, we find uh, in the Gospels a record of Jesus' ministry while he walked this planet. God became flesh, dwelt among us. Jesus was the Word of God. He became flesh. He dwelt among His people. And He came specifically to accomplish the will of the Father. He was on a mission to destroy the works of the enemy and rescue those who were held captive to sin, death, and destruction. And I'll give you good news. That's you and me. Right? John 10 and 10. The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life. And have it more abundantly. First John 3 and 8. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested. That he might destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. What did the devil do to us? And, and as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood. He himself likewise shared in the same. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And release those who through fear of death. Were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And then finally, Colossians 2, 13 through 15, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now I tell you, I could stop there and that's pretty good. That describes the work of Jesus right there. This is what he came to do. This is his purpose. Well, I, I thought he came to die on a cross. Well, he had to die on a cross in order to accomplish his mission, but his mission wasn't to die on a cross. His mission was to destroy the works of the devil and redeem humanity. Right? And he's no longer on a cross. He's seated at the right hand of God. And we are seated in heavenly places with him in Christ. Right? So that was the work of Jesus. That's just kind of a little bit of background. But now I want to go back and I want to see in his earthly ministry, I titled this Jesus' ministry, how did Jesus demonstrate his defeat over the enemy, his, his uh, uh, victory over the enemy, uh, while he was on this earth. Luke 4, 18 and 19, the Bible says, Jesus said, got up and preached, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to do what? Preach the gospel. But a lot of people stop there. That's not all he was anointed to do. What else was he anointed to do? Well, part of preaching the gospel was demonstration. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of God's favor or jubilee that you're being set free. So if you're captive, if you are poor, poor in spirit, if you are brokenhearted, if you are blind in other places, if you're lame, if you're deaf, whatever situation that you're in, Jesus was anointed to set you free and to bring healing and wholeness into your life. Right? Acts 10.38 sums that up. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and He went around doing good and healing all. Now we'll stop there for a minute because I want to insert this. Uh, we're going to talk about who 
he was healing, but also why he was healing. Remember I told you before that the Son of God was manifested for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil? What are the works of the devil? Well, this scripture will tell us. And how did Jesus destroy the works of the devil? This scripture will tell us in one short little phrase, Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Sickness, disease, infirmity, and affliction is not and was never created by God for God's people. It was a product of sin. Right? When we sin, when Adam and Eve sin, and the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we inherited that nature, we succumbed to that nature, that's part of who we are. We were dead in our trespasses and sins because the wages of sin is death. Right, and so when we when we were, uh, uh, we did that, when we found ourselves in that, the Bible says we're under the domain of darkness. We're under the prince of the power of the air. We're under the uh, the rulership of the enemy. But Jesus came to set the captives free, of which we were a part of, because when we uh, sin, when we uh, succumb to sin, when we live in sin, which we all do, then we are no longer free. We are actually captive to, the, to darkness. We're captive to the enemy. But Jesus Christ came to, uh, to destroy the works of the enemy and to set us free. And how did he set us free? He came in demonstration. He preached the kingdom. He demonstrated the kingdom. And he brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Acts 10.38 Healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So, if you're broken hearted, you're discouraged, you're depressed, you're, under, you're, you're being attacked by anxiety, I want you to know that is not a work of God, that's a work of the enemy, and God wants to bring healing into your life. You hearing what I'm saying? What did Jesus walked the planet? How did he do that? Matthew 4, 30, 23, Jesus went around all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. John 21 and 25, when John finished his gospel, he talked about seven different uh, miraculous signs that Jesus did, pointing toward who Jesus was. But then at the very end of his gospel, he says, these, uh, uh, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself cannot contain the books that could be written. Amen. That's what he said. So he says, so be it. This is the way it is. Basically, everywhere Jesus went, what you're going to find and what the Gospels give witness to is that Jesus spoke about the kingdom, but Jesus also demonstrated the kingdom by healing and delivering and setting people free to such an extent that John says, I can't even begin to describe all the things that Jesus did because he went around doing good, healing all who, who, uh, uh, who were oppressive the enemy because God was with him and Jesus is the visible manifestation of the will of God and basically if you were on this planet and you hung around Jesus you would probably be in awe not just at what Jesus did but the frequency with which Jesus did it or hear what I'm saying so Jesus ministry was an incredibly powerful supernatural ministry filled with signs and wonders as he brought the kingdom of God to bear in the earth. Jesus' ministry while he walked on the planet. Now that brings me to my second point. I want to look at what about the people that walked with Jesus? And the title of this point is the disciples' pre-resurrection ministry. Interestingly enough, Jesus told his disciples that the way he was functioning, they too would function. They were going to do the same things that he was doing. John 14 and 12, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. What happened when Jesus went to the Father? The Spirit of God was going to descend. And when the Spirit of God descended, when Jesus said, uh, 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 the Spirit of God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach and to do, now the disciples were going to be able to say, the Spirit of God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach and to do. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back to the pre-resurrection ministry of the disciples. What happened with them? Before his death, Jesus commissioned 12 disciples to preach and to heal. 
actually um, Woody was in this passage, uh, Matthew 9, 36. But then if we go, uh, it's, it, there's a separation between chapter 9 and chapter 10, but there is no separation in thought. It's just a place mark to help you find where you're at. But in chapter 10 of Matthew, verse 1, after he says, The harvest is ripe, the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the, harvest, uh, the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into this harvest field. Then it says in Matthew 10, verse 1, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, now who were they called to? To him. Who are we called to be with? him everything that we're going to do everything we're teaching you that jesus wants us to do is a product of intimacy with god relationship with god jesus first of all called the 12 disciples to be with him and then while they were with him he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease and if you were to jump down to verse 7 he tells them to go and preach and he says as you go preach or proclaim saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand so they gotta they gotta tell they gotta preach but second he says heal the sick cleanse the lepers raise the dead cast out demons freely you've received freely give in other words don't just be people that talk you gotta do and what are we called to do? The same thing I did. You're called to set people free. You're called to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. Now, good thing he's only talking to those 12. Is he? Then we run down to Luke chapter 10, verse 1, and then what we're going to find is that he commissioned 72 others. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1, and then we'll jump down to verse 8 after that. It says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And in verse 8, it says, He tells them, Whenever you go into a city, whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. Now, the context here, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. So even though it's not saying they're teaching and preaching, what they are doing is they're teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, as you do that, heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. You see, what I'm trying to get you to realize is that the kingdom of God comes near not just by what we proclaim but it comes near by what we do Jesus when he brought the disciples and he said follow me and I will I will make you fishers of men he showed them what to say and he showed them what to do and then when he called the 12 and then he called the 72 he said what I said and what I did now I want you to go and I want you to say and I want you to do now, why is this important? Because so much of, of, of what's happening today is that we major on what we're supposed to say, but we don't major on what we're supposed to do. We can't just be talkers. We got to be walkers. We got to be doers, right? Because some people, they don't just want to hear. They need to see and, 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 and witness uh, liberty in their life. Some people are going to hear what you say and they're going to believe and then they're going to follow and then they're going to see Jesus touch them in their life. But some people aren't going to believe and follow until they witness. And you say, well, Jesus didn't do that. we got to get people saved before we can begin to pray for them and get them healed. And yet Jesus did differently. Jesus would heal people and then when they got healed, they would decide they wanted to follow Him. Who? God, because it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Now, what we need to understand is that the, the gospel is two-pronged, two right? It's kind of like um, if you have a one-pronged fork, not so bueno. You call that a chopped stick. But you don't eat with a chopped stick, you eat with chopped sticks, right? So you need a two-pronged attack. If you're going to get them noodles, you better have two prongs. Now, American culture, we're talking American culture here, we have four prongs because we want to do things better and faster, and bottom line is, I don't want to learn how to eat with chopsticks, right? But if I'm going to eat with chopsticks, i got to have two, otherwise I'm going to look a little silly and foolish and, and it's going to be kind of a, a mess. So I want to have two, and I want you to understand, and kind of using a little bit of humor here to understand that the gospel is two-pronged. you got to say, but you also got to do. Jesus talked... And then he backed up his talk by doing. And he went around doing 
good. What was the good that he did? Healing all, not some, not most, but all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. And then what Jesus is telling the disciples that were with him, he said to them, as uh, uh, you were with me, go and I'm going to be with you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to proclaim the kingdom of God and then I want you to do the works that I did. Now, have you noticed the pattern? Jesus preached and he demonstrated his authority and power over the enemy because remember, he came to destroy the works of the enemy. How did he do that? By healing and casting out demons. He preached and he, pro and he, he proclaimed and he performed. Now, I don't like to use that word perform because we, we look at that as a performance and that's not really the gist of the word. The, the gist of the word is he talked and then he did it, right? Jesus then commissioned his disciples and they were commissioned and they too proclaimed the kingdom of God, that is God's authority, Christ's authority and power, and then they demonstrated his power and his authority over the works of of the enemy. In fact, if I were to go to Luke chapter 10, I think it's in uh, verse 19, he said, I've given you authority over, uh, let me go ahead and jump there. I saw 18 and 19. Do not rejoice. Where is it? Verse 19. Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. So then it says, and I was looking here where it says that, but I can't really find it, but then it says that when they came back, they began to talk to him about all the things that they, began, that, that they proclaimed and that they saw. Actually, in verse 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And then he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on surface of scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, it's your relationship with God that gives you the ability to do these things. But Jesus didn't ever say, I wish you didn't do these things. No, in fact, what he heard whenever he, they, he came back and reported that they did these things, the Bible says in verse 21, in that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and says thank you Father Lord of heaven and earth that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children yes Father for such was your gracious will and so basically what he's saying when it says that word rejoice if that word in the Greek actually means he jumped up and spinned in the air he was so excited why because his disciples weren't just going out and talking but they were doing he gave them authority and power, and now they were going out, and they were practicing that authority and power because Jesus said they could, they did it, and they came back and said, even the demons are subject to us. And Jesus had to remind them, that's a good thing, but just remember, your authority and your power come from a relationship with God. Amen. Amen? But he didn't say, I wish you hadn't done these things. He said, he rejoiced, the Bible says he rejoiced exceedingly when he heard this report, Right? So, bottom line, what I'm trying to get you to see is that Jesus came, anointed by the Holy Spirit, he proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he practiced the kingdom of God, then he brought his disciples there, first 12, then 72, said, go, and what I did, you do the same, they talked, and then they practiced the kingdom of God to such an extent that demons were being cast out, people were being healed, in other words, the kingdom of God was being manifested in their midst. That's pre-resurrection ministry. What about post-resurrection ministry? Thank you for asking. That's the third point. The disciples' post-resurrection ministry. The book of Acts is a record of what took place after Jesus' resurrection. What did the disciples in the first century church do with Jesus' commission? Acts 1 and 8, he said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now you've got to realize in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, he had already said, all authority has been given to me. Go into all the world, or another way of saying that, as you go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. But then he says to them, but wait in Jerusalem for you to receive the promise of the Father on high. What is this promise? You will receive the Holy Spirit. Which Holy Spirit? The same Holy Spirit that was on Jesus when he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. You 
receive the Holy Spirit, you stay in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit, it's come upon you, and then, that's the context, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. What do you mean I'm going to be your witnesses? The works that I do, greater works than these shall you do. Now, unless you're one of those that are sitting here saying, you're saying we're going to do greater works than Jesus, not quality works, but quantity. Because now, it wasn't just one person walking the planet with the Spirit of God upon his life. Now, multitudes of people, multitudes of believers have the opportunity to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, the power of God moving in their life, that they too might do the things that Jesus did. And you might say to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do the things that Jesus did? Wait a minute, I'm not sure about that. All right, what are you getting into here? What are you trying to teach me? Okay, John chapter 17, verse 15. I'm going to start in verse 15, but really it's verse 18 I want to concentrate on. Uh, Jesus is praying to the Father. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And we, we're just, we're kind of always wanting God to take us out of the world. And Jesus isn't trying to get you out of the world. He's trying to get you into the world. I'm not so sure about that. Well, let's keep going on. Remember, he's talking to his father. They are not of the world, just as I'm not in the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So it's not being away from the world that sanctifies you. It's letting the word of God be in you that sanctifies you and doing what the word of God says. And then he says, and here's the key, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus wants us to go into the world as well. How are we supposed to go into the world? Clothed with power to, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, to proclaim the kingdom of God, but not only that, to do the works that Jesus did. Acts 2, 1 through 4. What happened? You know, they were up in the upper room praying for 10 days. And then it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. So, Spirit of God was poured out upon them. They began to speak in unknown languages, that is, unknown languages to them. However, because it was the Feast of Pentecost, there was a lot of Jews from different places of the world that spoke different languages. And when they heard these people speak in other languages, they understood what they were saying. They also understood that these people were Galileans. They didn't know how to speak in those kind of tongues. And they had questions. What's going on here? And the people that were uh, uh, being filled with the Spirit of God were so overcome by the presence of God that they even mistook them for being drunk with wine and Peter gets up and he sets the record straight and he begins to preach that these people are not drunk like you suppose this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel and he begins to quote uh, what was happening there in their midst and your young men shall see visions your old men shall dream dreams and they're going to prophesy your med med servants and your maid servants will prophesy and he begins to talk about this is the outpouring of the spirit of God and so what he's doing is he proclaiming he's preaching the uh, the good Good news of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, we talked about this the other day, that the people were cut to the heart. What do we got to do? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, be baptized, and the, and the promise that happening here, that's happening here, not only is going to come upon you, but also your children and all who are far off. And the Bible says they repented, they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe there was 5,000 at this time that were added to the church. It might be three. I'm going by memory, but that brings us to the part part that I wanted to share with you in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. The Bible says, the people that were saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, changed. They, the believers, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What is that talking about? The Word of God. The fellowship, the breaking of bread, and of prayers. The fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. 
Now all who believed were together, had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all as anyone had need. So continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their church daily those who were being saved. So why was he adding daily those people that were being saved? I want to submit to you is because they were preaching the kingdom of God, and they were doing the works that Jesus did. Are hearing what I'm saying? They weren't just talking, they were doing. To me, it seems that they took Jesus' commission literally. You're not supposed to take it literally. God doesn't do signs and wonders anymore, God doesn't do miracles anymore. All that stopped when we got the Bible. To me, it seemed that these disciples took Jesus' commission literally and went about proclaiming and demonstrating the authority and power of Jesus over the works of the enemy, just like Jesus commanded them to do in our text. You, for, you think I forgot about our text? I didn't forget about our text, but I want you to hold on to it. We're going to get to it in a minute because I have something I want to show you. I was reading a book by a guy named John Wimber. He's no longer with us, but he was a, uh, the leader of the Vineyard Church movement. Uh, used to be a rock and roll musician, jazz musician. God saved him, began to use him mightily in the, in the, in the uh, preaching of the gospel and also the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit. And he wrote a book called Power Evangelism. And in that book, he says, many question, Western Christians, not not uh, African Christians, not Asian Christians, because they're used to this, but Western Christians uh, are surprised at the emphasis in the Bible on signs and wonders in the commissioning to go. Yet the way the disciples fulfill the Great Commission indicates Christ's commitment to power evangelism, which was part of their training. Luke, in his first uh, of the book that he wrote, because he actually wrote two books, he wrote the Gospel of Luke and he actually wrote the book of Acts. In the gospel, he says, in the gospel of Luke, he says the purpose of his gospel was to write about all that Jesus did and taught, Acts 1 and 1. This former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both teach, to do, and to teach. So that even tells you what, did you, what was his ministry like. He taught and he did. But the emphasis in Luke is he did and he taught. I want us to get back. I don't mind if the emphasis in teach and do as long as we do. Right? Now, but the emphasis in Jesus, is, according to Luke, was he did, and then he taught. I don't care which way we do it, as long as that do is in there. Don't just be a hearer of the word, deceiving yourselves, but be ye doers of the word of God. In Acts, Luke, writing the second part of his work, continued the story of Jesus' work and teaching, only now Jesus' work and his teaching was going to be done through his body, the church, the disciples. Well, no, that's the disciples teaching and doing. No, it's the works of Jesus done through his body, the church, the disciples. It's still Jesus. He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what you're going to see in the book of Acts is that Jesus taught them how to do ministry and the disciples learned well and they did it the same way that Jesus did it. The training they received in discipleship came together with the catalytic outpouring of God's spirit at Pentecost. And when the Spirit of God was poured out at Pentecost, power evangelism was unleashed on the world. We've been trying to get people to save by eloquency of, of how we talk, by, by knowledge of what we talk. And I'm not saying it's important not to be knowledgeable, and I'm not saying you can't be fluid in how to talk about Jesus Christ. But even Paul says, I came to you not with eloquent words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. It didn't mean he didn't have words. He just said, my focus wasn't on how good my words are. I just talked about Jesus, but my focus is on demonstration of the Spirit and power. Hallelujah. Right? Power evangelism was unleashed on the world just like Jesus did. He wants to continue to do the same through his disciples. And there are at least ten kinds of signs, phenomena in the book of Acts that produced evangelistic growth in the church. Now, this is post-resurrection ministry of the disciples. Right? This is the book of Acts. So I'm not putting any pressure on you guys yet. 
But the following is a summary. And by the way, this is all in the Bible. Go back and study it for yourself. I'm not trying to, 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 to you know, add things here or to emphasize things that the Bible doesn't emphasize itself. I'm just trying to refocus uh, uh, you on things that many times that we pass over or we ignore or we de-emphasize. You hear what I'm saying? The following is a summary of the sign phenomena of those sign phenomena found in the book of Acts. First of all, there were speaking gifts. Tongues and prophecy occurred four times in Acts, and three of these instances resulted in the growth of the church. For example, at Pentecost, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, and the Spirit enabled them, resulting in about 3,000, Kate was 3,000, being added to their number that day. Then there were visions. There are at least four instances of visions recorded in Acts. Cornelius, the Caesarean centurion, received a vision and answered to his prayers and was told to send for Peter. The next day, Peter had a related vision. The two visions resulted in the gospel being preached to the Gentiles for the first time, with many responding by being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Paul also had a vision in Macedonia, resulting in the formation of the European churches and in Corinth, resulting in the formation of a church in the city of Corinth as well. So you have speaking gifts, you have visions, and then the dead are raised. Two resuscitations are recorded. The first is Dorcas. Please don't name your child Dorcas. It doesn't mean in our world today what it meant back then. Two resuscitations are recorded. The first is Dorcas, or Tabitha, as she was called in Aramaic. Peter raised her from the dead, resulting in many people believing in the Lord. The second is Eutychus, who fell out of a window while Paul was preaching. So this is the danger of just preaching and not doing. He preached up until midnight. I haven't preached till midnight yet, but if you give me an opportunity, it's possible. So anyway, he preached till midnight he, uh, because they were using flames. Uh, you know, that's how they had lights. They had candles, candles and flames. He grew weary, fell out of a window, third-story window, and then he, he was dead. And, and Paul went over to him and said, uh, be, uh, raised him up in the name of the Lord. And, and, with, and because of that, you know, uh, the people that were there that were just, this is a bummer and it's a downer for the meeting. We're going to have to dismiss. All of a sudden now they got rejuvenated. And because of that, uh, because of the demonstration of the Spirit, Paul was able to keep preaching all the way until the next morning how many of y'all would want to invite the apostle paul to preach if you knew the service was going to go from seven o'clock till seven a.m the next morning <laughs> the dead were raised right all we're asking you to do is come for three nights of probably an hour and a half i think i'll take that all right there was also assorted miracles there were six specific miracles recorded one occurred on the island of Malta, where a viper pit bit Paul, and he suffered no ill effects. According to church tradition, the people responded to the miracle by believing in Christ, and a church was established. There were also phenomena that were linked to miracles of nature. For example, the opening of the gates for Peter in Acts 12, the earthquake unfashioned fetters and opened doors in Acts 16, and the sound like wind, winds and tongues and of fire in Acts 2. The last phenomenon helped, again, about 3,000 people get saved. There were numerous accounts, specifically seven, of healings in the book of Acts. One included Peter healing Aeneas' paralysis, resulting in the conversion of the towns of Lydda and Sharon. Do you see how people are getting saved and, and, and freed and delivered? If I went back to the other one, whenever the earthquake took place and Paul, uh, he was uh, released, and Paul and Silas were released from their bonds and from their prisons, not only did the people that were in prison, it doesn't say, but I believe they got saved, but also the jail and his whole household got saved. So when these signs, wonders, miracles, supernatural events, people get saved, healed, delivered, set free, when these things happen, it accounts for many, many people coming to a knowledge of God and getting saved. Amen. Then you have angelic visitations. There are three recorded angelic visitations. In the first instance, an angel told Philip to go to a desert road south of Jerusalem, and there he evangelized the Ethiopian church. According to church tradition, the eunuch returned to Ethiopia and established the church of Ethiopia. We don't know how many believers came out of that, but I would, I would uh, just, uh, without trying to exaggerate, I would think it was a great deal of Christians came from that one encounter that happened as a result of an angelic visitation. Supernatural phenomena. 
signs and wonders were a regular part of what was taking place in the post-resurrection ministry of the disciples. So, now let me, let me bring this to a conclusion, and you think, oh, good, only a few more minutes. No, it's a really long conclusion. I don't want to give you any false hope. We have seen the ministry of Jesus. We've seen that he was empowered by the Spirit, and through the anointing of the Spirit, he proclaimed and demonstrated the power of God over the works of the enemy through signs and wonders. We've also seen how Jesus commissioned and empowered his first century disciples, both pre-resurrection and post-resurrection, to do the same. And what we saw and what we see in the book of Acts is they did. Empowered by the Spirit, they proclaimed and demonstrated the authority and power of God over the works of the enemy. Now we come back to our text. You may have forgot that I had a text, or you may have thought, I forgot about the text, but one of the things I want you to see is that in our text, after his resurrection, Jesus commissioned all his disciples, and he actually uses the word believers, to continue the assignment of proclaiming the kingdom and doing the works of the kingdom, demonstrating his power and his authority over the enemy. Because see, the argument is this. Well, Jesus did that because he's the son of God. So, and here's the thinking. Jesus can do it because he's the son of God, but I'm not the son of God, so I therefore have no obligation or responsibility to do it. Correct? Well, what I hope to show you, and if I were to go back and do another teaching on this, everything that Jesus did in this earth while he walked on the earth, he did not as God. He was 100% God, but the Bible says in Philippians, basically, he didn't use his Godhood. He didn't function in his Godhood. How did he function? He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He functioned as a man empowered by the Spirit of God. All right? So now we can't say about Jesus, you know, well, he could do it because he was the Son of God because we've learned that what he did was by the Spirit of God. But we'll hold that there because another argument is this. People will say, well, the disciples did that because that's what needed to be done to corroborate that they carried the message of the kingdom and to, to, uh, until the perfect came, and the perfect was when the word of God was written, but now that the word of God is written, we no longer do that anymore. Right? So what I'm trying to get you to understand is that, assuming that's your premise for understanding, is the disciples did do it, though. What did they do? They preached and they did. What did they preach? The kingdom of God. What did Jesus preach? The kingdom of God. How did they do it? By the Spirit of God. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The disciple says, uh, that you shall receive power the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What, did the, what were the works of Jesus? He healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed the lepers, cast out devils. What were the works of the disciples? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils. But we have the Bible now. Yes, we do. And in the Bible... That's where this text comes to mind. So first of all, I didn't have this in here, but I'm going to go back to Acts chapter 2. I believe it's verse 42. No, it's verse 38, sorry. So the people that heard Peter preach because of the outpouring of the Spirit of God, so the Spirit of God was poured out, people were experiencing supernatural phenomena, they were uh, speaking in other tongues. They were prophesying. Correct? Peter gets up and he proclaims. So there was doing and then there was teaching. Right? And then what happened? In verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, 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 I understand that. That happened, but that happened then. Let's keep going. Peter goes on, he says, For the promise is for you, the people that are there, and for your children, okay, another generation. Ah, but he doesn't stop there. And for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, how many of y'all would not want to be, uh, would, would say, I don't want to be included in that category? Everyone here wants to be included in that category because if God doesn't call you to himself, you're not saved. 
But Jesus, uh, Peter is saying is that this promise, this outpouring of the Spirit of God wasn't just for the disciples, it's also for you and I. It's for you and I, right? And so that understanding in mind, in uh, Mark chapter 16, whenever uh, he's talking about uh, another commissioning of the gospel, it says in Mark 16, 15 through 18, and he, Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Yeah, yeah, but he's talking to them. But how many of us, how many of us have been taught and we have no problems understanding that Jesus wants us to preach the gospel? He, He did it then. He wants us to do it today. The problem that we have is that we think that what Jesus did, we're not supposed to do. Well, how do you separate that? Because it says in here, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, this is for them. This is for the apostles. This is for the New Testament believers. This isn't for us. But then it goes on and says, these signs will follow the New Testament apostles. These signs will follow until the Bible is written. No, it says, these signs will follow those who believe. Now you may, well, I'm a believer, so I'm going to two two contexts here, two two uh, uh, um, things that I want to bring out. One is it follows those who believe in Jesus Christ. So if you believe in Jesus Christ and you're preaching the gospel, but these things don't follow you, you got to say to yourself, "Well, wait a minute. Jesus said these signs will follow them to believe. Why aren't they following me?" Well, first of all, I may not understand they're supposed to follow me. And two, and the second understanding of this word believe is that these signs will follow those who believe that they will follow them. Right? I've talked to people in the past and when I talk to people, uh, one of the things that many people will say was, I'm open to whatever God wants to do. But I want you to know that God doesn't respond to openness, God responds to faith. Faith is different than openness, right? What's the difference? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. In other words, God, this in your word, this is the difference, it says these signs will follow those who believe. I'm open to you doing these things, but if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I'm good either way. That's what it means to be open. I really don't want it to happen, but if you want it to happen because you're sovereign, it'll happen. I can't argue against it, but so I'm open to happening, but I really don't want it to happen because I now have to deal with some stuff and I don't want to do that. Kind of the context for me, the way I understand, I'm open. But faith is, wait a minute, God. It says in your word, these signs will follow those who believe. I'm a believer, but these signs aren't following me. Why aren't these signs following me? Well, it's not because you lied, because your Bible says, I'll let God be true and every man a liar. It's not because you changed, because the Bible says you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So they're not following me. I don't know why they're not following me, but they're supposed to follow me. If it says in your word they're supposed to follow me, then God, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to let go. I'm going to begin to believe God. I'm going to begin to pray. I'm going to begin to do what I need to do until I see what you said in your word is supposed to happen. Happen! And you might say, so pastor, why do you keep preaching so much on signs, wonders, miracles, healings? Why do you keep preaching so much on that? Because it says in the Bible it's supposed to happen. And if it's not happening, then we got to pursue it until it does happen. That's how you live the Christian life. I got a promise from God. Let's say you're, you're sick. The Bible says he forgives all our iniquities and he heals all my diseases. Lord, I'm open to you healing me. Right? Now, usually, if you're not direly in need, you can be open. I'll just take my NyQuil at night. I'll take a little bit of a tramadol, and, or I'll take my antidepressants, or whatever the case may be, and I'll be fine. It's not bothering me that bad. But when it gets to a place 
where it's really bothering you and you realize the medicine ain't doing what it's supposed to be doing, then all of a sudden, openness, when you go to the promises of God, you begin to say, God, your word says this, and I've been living with it, and I've been tolerating it, but I want you to know, whatever I'm doing, it ain't enough. I need to have relief. And God, you promised, can you do this? And there was a woman with an issue of blood who had been suffering for, I I forget how many years, uh, huh? Twelve long years she'd been suffering. And then she heard about, she tried everything. She tried medicine, she tried doctors, she tried spas, she tried retreats. She tried everything you could think of. And she wasted all her money on all of it. And she was in the same condition she was physically, but she was actually worse off than she ever was because she lost everything trying to get better. And I believe somebody shows up to her village one day and they used to not be able to walk. This is my own interpretation. You can use whatever you want. I'm a preacher. I'm a free to ad lib if I want to. If I said I was a teacher, it'd be different. (laughs) But today I'm preaching. I would imagine somebody showed up in the village one day, and we'll just call him Harry, right? Because like Esau, he was Harry. Let's just call him Esau, but we'll call him Harry. And so anyway, he shows up, and everybody knew this guy, he he was blind in one eye, and he had one arm that wouldn't work, and he was limping. And he shows up, And all of a sudden when he shows up, now I didn't say this in your Bible, I'm taking liberties. When he shows up, all of a sudden his arm is well, he's walking fine, and he can see perfectly. And I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, aren't you Harry? Yeah. Well, Harry, what you're doing right now is a little bit scary. No, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) What happened? I'm going to tell you what happened. I went to go see a man by the name of Jesus. And Jesus is a rabbi. He preaches the word of God. But he didn't just preach, he preaches with authority. And when he preaches with authority, he heals the sick, raises the dead, cleanses the lepers, casts out devils. And I was in that meeting, and when I was in that meeting, he pointed to me and he said, "Harry, I know you don't uh, I don't uh, you don't know me, but I know you." It's kind of like Nathaniel. I saw you uh, 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 Andrew or Nathaniel. I think it was Nathaniel. I saw you while you were sitting under a tree and I said, "Harry, I know what you're going through." And I say, "Stand up and walk." And Harry, Harry began to stand up and walk and his eye was healed and his arm was healed and his leg was healed and then Harry walks back home and he, he, he got to tell everybody let me tell you what Jesus did for me let me tell you what Jesus did for me he wasn't a preacher he wasn't a Bible college student he, wasn't, he didn't have online Bible courses he just said man I was a guy that had a problem with my eye and a problem with my arm and a problem with my leg and I was lopsided Harry but now Jesus prayed for me and he made me whole and I want you to know this Jesus is awesome and all of a sudden Something went into the heart of this woman, and she said, Jesus. And then, she, and then all of a sudden, Harry says, oh, by the way, he's coming this way. And this woman, who had had an issue of blood for 12 long years, the Bible, she wasn't supposed to be around anybody, she wasn't supposed to touch anybody, and Jesus shows up, and when Jesus shows up, he's got a whole crowd of people around him. And she's thinking to herself, I know if I can just touch him, I know that I can be made whole, because he teaches the Word of God, but he also demonstrates, because I saw what he did with my friend Harry. There is no Harry, by the way. And she said, if I can just get to him and touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. And so she pushed her way through the crowd, even though it was uh, against tradition, it was against the law, not biblical law, but uh, yeah, it was against the law for her to do that. She pushed people aside because she was unclean, and everybody she touched, she was making unclean, but she didn't care. She had to get to Jesus. He was surrounded by a crowd, and you know, sometimes uh, when there's a crowd there, I'm one of those kind of people that says, uh, you know, it's like, but I know some of y'all, some of y'all are, come on, man, let's go. I like to hang around. We're going to go talk to this guy. I said, well, he, he's got too many. He don't want to talk to me. She wasn't like that. She said, I'm going to touch him. I'm going to get around him. And she pushed through the crowd, and she got, and she touched the hem of his garment. And when she touched the hem of his garment, it wasn't words. It was virtue. The Bible says power came out of Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. Jesus is the Word of God, but the Word of God partnered with the Spirit of God is power. And the Bible says power came out of him, and her flow of blood stopped, and she was made whole. 
You understand what I'm saying? Everywhere Jesus went, people didn't just hear a good message. They experienced the power of God in their life. Jesus told the disciples, when you go, preach, but I also want you to heal the sick and cast out the devil. I want them to feel the power of the kingdom of God. And by the way, when you do that, we are, uh, the Bible says uh, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. I'm, I am destroying the works of darkness and the works of the kingdom of, the, of darkness that has kept my people enslaved. And I want you to go and I want you to preach the kingdom and I want you to show them how good the king of kings and the lord of is and I want you to set people free and I want you to know that gospel hasn't changed you can theologically convince yourself it's not for today but I want you to know that the same Jesus back then the same God back then is the same God today and not only does he want to save you by, by helping you to hear about who he is and get to heaven but he wants to change your life now but for the Bible says John 10 and 10 the thief comes but the steal kill and destroy but I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly I want you to be saved and go to heaven but I want you to walk I want you to talk I want you to see I want you to be free that's what I came to do to me that's the gospel and in this text Jesus said and these signs will follow those who believe believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are believers but also believe that these things are supposed to happen Jesus believed they were supposed to happen, and they happened. The disciples believed they were supposed to happen, and they happened. The New Testament church believed they were supposed to happen, and they happened. Well, guess what? I believe that they're supposed to happen. You believe that they're supposed to happen, and they will happen. And they have happened. We've got a lady up here on the front row who plays music for us, and she saw that happen in her life. She was basically paralyzed for four years but never lost hope in God, never lost faith in God. And four years later, she is walking, talking, leaping, praising God because the kingdom of God is not just words, but the kingdom of God is power. Are you hearing what I'm saying? She's a living testimony to what God is doing today. In this, it says, in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up sermons. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. And they might recover. They could recover. They will recover. In this text, Jesus' commission is to believers. Therefore, we must likewise conclude that we too, by the power of the Spirit, are commissioned to not only talk about the gospel, but to demonstrate the authority and the power of God over all the works of the enemy. In short, we believers of today are not only to proclaim, but we are just as divinely commissioned and powered to do. We too are to heal the sick, raise the dead, Cast out devils, set the captives free. It's not metaphorical. It's not for the first century alone. It's not just for the leaders and the elders and the, and the, and the big guys that, that do this in crusades. No, it's for all believers to believe, to embrace, and then to go out and to do. I, I wasn't going to preach on this today. Marty can tell you, I had two messages worked up for today. Didn't know which one it was going to be, and, and he had them all ready. And the Lord came in and he said, no, this is what I want you to preach on today. Why does God want me to preach on this today? Because God's trying to say something to us. God wants to, to show us that the kingdom of God is not just in words, but the kingdom of God is in power. I don't know what you're going through, but I want you to know that the kingdom of God is here today to, to save, heal, deliver, and set you free. And not only that, we are supposed to be the light of the world. What does it mean to be the light of the world? We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. What does it mean to be the salt of the earth and light of the world? When we go out there, we don't just live. That's important. We don't just live, but we got to do. There are people out there that need hope. There are people out there that need freedom. They need healing. They need deliverance. Well, I'm going to pray that Jesus will do that. That's good that you pray that Jesus will do that. But if you'll believe God, you'll be the instrument he'll use to do it. It's what we're supposed to do. This is what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to proclaim. We're supposed to be.